I want to talk with you this morning about arguably the most famous battle in all of the Old Testament. It's one of the most famous battles in all of history for that matter. But this battle, it, was, it wasn't a battle where massive armies were at play with great generals trying to, trying to uh, outfox uh, one another. The battle I'm talking about, as, as you're probably already figured out, is on a much smaller scale than that. The most famous battle described in the Old Testament was not fought between two armies, but it was fought between two people. It was a battle in, in, the, in the Valley of Elah. Let me get this situated. Otherwise, if I don't get this fixed, it's going to distract me all service long. Here we go. It, the battle I'm talking about was in the Valley of Elah, and it was the battle between David and Goliath. David and Goliath, which, by the way, I'm going to say this up front. When we talk about David and Goliath and we talk about uh, who David is and slaying the giant, sometimes we, we put ourselves in the position of David and say, I can be a giant killer. But I want you to understand what this story really points to is the fact that Jesus is the giant killer. That's what it's really all about. And, and so we're going to look at that today. But before we look at that duel, I, I want to look at again at something that occurred, occurred just a little while earlier before that battle. You, you, I'm sure you remember the, the time when the prophet Samuel was sent by God uh, to the house of a man named Jesse, and he was sent there by God to anoint the next king of Israel. And when Jesse's sons began to parade before the prophet, the very first one was named Eliab, and Eliab really caught Samuel's attention. He was tall, he was handsome, he was strong, I mean, he, he was a man's man, he he was, he was, he was like, uh, like Lee, you know, he was a man's man. That's what he was. And, and, and Samuel looked at that and he saw this fine specimen of a man and he thought, this is the guy. This has got to be the guy. But God had uh, other ideas and he corrected Samuel by saying in sec, in first Samuel 16, seven, he said, do not consider his opinion, uh, excuse me, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected it. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, we as human beings are subject to that very problem all the time. We are impressed with or we're not impressed with individuals because we judge on the basis of, of surface, first surface appearance, what we see on the outside. We look at the externals and we form opinions and oftentimes how many of you have ever formed an opinion about somebody and found out later that you were completely wrong? Has that ever happened to you? If God's statement about God looking on the heart and not matter in the outward appearance doesn't matter, if that ever applied in any situation, it applied in the story of this battle. Because Goliath had all the things that would normally impress and intimidate. In this instance, however, David had been given the ability to see as God sees. And he was neither impressed, nor was he intimidated. No matter how big the giant might be, I want you to hear this this morning. The whole idea we're talking about is that God is greater. And no matter how powerful that giant might be, God is more powerful. Now with all that in mind, let's just take a look at the battle. We're going to read Little portions of the scripture from 1 Samuel 17. If you want to open your Bible there, we're going to read uh, different portions of scripture a little bit at a time and talk about it as we go along. But let's look at, at the battle in 1 Samuel 17 verse 1. 
Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in, in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim uh, between Sokah and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another and the valley between them. So we'll stop there and let's kind of set the scene here before we, so we can get a picture in our minds of what's going on. The valley of Elah there they're talking about, it, it was not a narrow valley. It was, it was more like almost, you could almost describe it like a vast canyon. This, this site was probably, was nearly a, uh, about a mile wide and it was uh, toward the mouth of the canyon. It, it opened up even wider than that. And at the bottom of the canyon or, or this ravine between the slopes, there was a stream bed running. And that's where we believe David found the stones for his sling. To one side of this, of this stream, there was a great slope that was, that was a, a half mile or more in size. And on the, on the opposite side, there was another vast slope, another half mile, stretching a full mile across, all the way across that valley. And the army of Israel camped on one slope, and the armies of the Philistines camped on the other side. So you picture this, they're about a mile apart on these hills looking over this valley. This is the setting. So let's look at the major characters in our drama. First of all, one of the first ones we see is this man named Goliath, whose size and appearance was so impressive that the writer takes the time to describe him in detail. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. That's tall, isn't it? You don't know. Because we don't know what that means, do we? we? We don't understand that very well because we don't measure things by a cubit in a span, do we? I mean, how many of you, the last time you went and uh, bought anything, you, ladies, you buy any, any fabric, you're going to make something, you say, I need about a cubit in a span. They would look at you like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So let's, let's kind of translate this into feet and inches because we get feet and inches, don't we? I'm not even going metric because I don't understand metric. So we're going to stick with feet and, 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 and inches. So Goliath here, he's this imposing figure. He was, to, to tell you how tall he was, Goliath was probably, and we don't know exactly, but nearest we can tell from historical references, we, we, we believe that Goliath was probably around nine feet Nine inches tall. That's a big man. That's a big man. That's an enormous man. You know, I mean, we got some big fellas here. I mean, like, I, I always feel safe when I go anywhere with Ernest. You know what I'm saying? You know, nobody messes with me. And I always feel like I'm a big man, but it's not me. You know, I feel good about that. But, but you know, I want you to, to picture this. I want you to, 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 to think about, uh, uh, about Ernest standing on a chair. I was going to get him up here and stand him on a chair, but, but then, you know, I know the camera set and he's, he'd be out of the shot and everything. But just, I want you to picture him standing on a chair and I want you to picture him looking at you mean and grazing his hands like this. And you would think that's a pretty impressive sight, wouldn't you? But here's what I want you to understand. If, if Ernie did that, as big and, and impressive as he would be, he would still have to look up to Goliath. That's how big this man was. Nine feet, nine inches. How many of you know how tall a basketball goal is? That's 10 feet. That means that his head almost hit the hoop. He had to duck underneath the, 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 the net. He makes Shaquille O'Neal look like a little man. And if you don't know how big Shaquille O'Neal is, he's, he's a massive human being. 
But you add all this together and you begin to realize that he was an imposing creature. He was a man that was, that was fearsome to look at. But you know, it wasn't just the fact that he was a huge man that made him imposing. Look at verse 5. It says, he had a bronze helmet on, on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. All right, let's talk about these things. We got to do some translation here because we don't know what any of those things mean. It says that he was wearing what we would call a coat of mail, this, this armor underneath him. The, the Philistines in that day, they garbed themselves for battle with a heavy canvas-like undergarment that was interlaced with overlap, overlapping ringlets of bronze. And so we would call that a coat of, coat of mail. And this coat of mail would cover from shoulder to knee, covering and protecting against the enemy's weapons. And, 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 and his body armor alone the, the size and the material that he used, and we're told it weighed 5,000 shekels. And in our terms, that meant it weighed between 175 and 200 pounds. Just wearing that around him as his armor. But it wasn't just that. Goliath also wore a bronze helmet. And he wore bronze leggings to protect his shins. And he carried this bronze javelin or spear slung between his shoulders. And it says that the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels. That 600 shekels means that it weighed about 20 to 25 pounds. Can you imagine trying to throw a, a, a large heavy beam with 25 pound weight on the end of it and trying to use that? This is a mad, I'm, let's put it this way. This is a bad man. This is a bad man. He says he also had a shield carrier who walked before him. The Hebrew word that's used here is one that refers to the largest shield that they used in battle during that time. And the shield was the size of a full-grown man. And you imagine how big it was for him. And so you got this guy carrying this shield that he's completely hiding behind. You can't even see him, but he's carrying the shield in front, of, in front of Goliath. And it was obviously designed to protect Goliath's body from the arrows of the enemy. So in, in addition to his body armor, Goliath had this fellow running in front of him carrying this shield, as this man-sized shield as a double protection. And I want you to just pause for a second and, and, and allow your mind to picture such an imposing sight. Imagine how frightening it would be to, to take on a giant this size, protected by this amount of armor. Clearly, without question, the odds are stacked against anyone foolish enough to face him in battle. Now, I want you to notice what this gigantic warrior did. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. And if I, but if I overcome him... And kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now, what's happening here is something that was a tactic that was commonly used during that, in the Eastern world during that time. And that is that Goliath, Goliath was suggesting a representative battle, a one-on-one -on -one fight. Now, now, why would they do this? Well, you got to understand. Now, think about this. Back in those days, warfare was, warfare is always brutal. But in those days, it was especially brutal. Because if you get in a fight with a guy and the two of you are using swords to fight, even if you win, there's a good chance 
you're not going to come out unscathed. You're going you're to have all kinds of serious injuries. You're never going to be the same, even if you win that battle. And so what happened was you had the, you know, they didn't have these standing armies of pre- paid professional soldiers. That, that When they went to war, all the farmers and all the merchants and everybody joined the army. They went to battle uh, for, the, for, the, for their nation. And so when the war was over, you still have to go back and, and run your country, Right? So what happens if half the armors end, uh, farmers end up with, with legs cut off or arms uh, cut off or serious injuries where they just can't work anymore? All of a sudden, your entire nation is crippled. So, so they came up with this thing, this representative battle, where they would allow the, the champion of one army to face the champion of the other army because they figure, hey, if these two are the best of the best of both sides, if our best is better than your best, it stands to reason that we're stronger than you are. So that's what Goliath was doing. And so he, he would represent the Philistine army and wh- whomever Israel chose would represent the Israelite army. And whoever won, his army won. And whoever lost, his whole army lost. He's just saying, there's, listen, there's no reason for your entire army to be involved in this. Just send a fighter and I'll take him on. Send your champion because I'm, I'm the champion over here. I, I'm the greatest. Now, Goliath, it's pretty easy to make that challenge when you're the size of Goliath. When you're the, the kind of fighter that he is. And, and he, he walks out there and says, send out a champion. I'm the greatest. And, but Goliath didn't just issue this challenge one time and then leave. No, his challenge, we're told in verse 16, that this went on for 40 days. Did you, did you realize how long it's, this happened? For 40 days, every single day, every morning and every evening for well over a month, he marched out there flaunting his size and his strength, knowing that nobody was going to come out and fight him because he was such a big, massive, uh, uh, frightening soldier and daring somebody to take him on. For, For over a month, morning and evening, he came out there and issued this challenge. I can't help but think how applicable that is to any giant that we encounter in our lives. That's how it goes with giants. That's the way with with the giants of fear and worry, for example. They don't just come once, do they? You don't just have that one thought of fear, that one worry that just kind of whispers in your ear and then they go away. No, they come morning and they come evening. They keep you awake at night. They come day after day after day, relentlessly trying to intimidate you, relentlessly trying to tell you that you have no hope and there's no, no future for you. They come in the form of a person or, or in the form of a, a pressure or, or some worry. They come in the form of some fear that just hammers away at your heart every morning and every night, day in, day out, without ever re- re- uh, giving you any kind of respite, yelling across the ravine of your own personal battle. Few things are more persistent and intimidating than our fears and our worries, especially when we try to face them in our own strength. We'll come back to that. So here's Goliath. 40 days, morning and and evening, shouting out this challenge, shouting out defiance against the the armies of Israel. Meanwhile, about 10 or 15 miles away, up in the Judean mountains of this little town called Bethlehem, uh, there's a teenager named David. He was keeping his father's sheep. He's too young to be fighting in the army. In fact, at that point, 
you know, they didn't have media, they didn't have radio, they didn't have newspapers. So David probably knew very, very little about what was happening between the Israelites and the Philistines. There were no daily updates on the, from the front. He may have e never even heard of Goliath at this point in his life. All he knew was that he, his three oldest brothers were off in Saul's army and they were fighting this battle for the nation of Israel. Well, David's father, naturally, he was very concerned about his three eldest sons and Jesse by this time was getting old and probably couldn't make the trip through the mountains himself. So he, he called his youngest son in and, and he said to him in verse 17, now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are, are and bring back some assurance from them. So he wanted to find out. He said, David, take these to them and let me know. Let me know they're okay. Well, so we see David was not going there to fight. That was not his intention. He was just sent by, by his father to bring, you know, uh, lunchable to his brother. Well, it was probably a little more than that. But to bring some refreshments, to make sure they're all right and let them know that, that dad is concerned. Dad's thinking about you. Dad's praying for you. But look at verse 20. Speaking of David, it says, He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Now, this, this is a little ironic to me. Because this, by now, for 40 days, Goliath has been coming out morning and evening and issuing this challenge, and yet every morning the army is going through the motions. They're going through the motions. All right, everybody, let's go to the battlefront. Let's hear the war cry. Rah! All the while knowing Goliath is going to be waiting for him and nobody's going to do one thing. Knowing that they weren't really going to fight. They were just going through the motions. Oh my goodness. I'm not even going to take time but think about how many applications we can make to, uh, of that in our lives. Where, where there are battles out there that need to be fought and we just go through the motions. Going to church. Let me hear your war cry. And we don't ever do anything. But David heard this. Imagine when he, he reached the camp and, and the army was mustering for battle and they, they're shouting this war cry. Imagine what must have been going through David's mind as, as he came over the top of that last rise and saw that army spread out before him. I wonder if he stood there and stared with his mouth wide open as he sized up the scene. I, I wonder what through, went through his mind. It, it must have been exciting and frightening and exhilarating all at the same time for this young man who had spent years out on the lonely hillside with only the sheep and other shepherds for company. He'd never seen anything like this. As David gets to the edge of the Israelite camp, he sees the troops heading out for battle. He hears the war cry. And you can tell he's excited and that he wants to see what's going to happen. I mean, any kid would. Look at what he did. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Hmm, some, some war cry that was. So David runs. He runs to this battle line. He's standing there talking with his three brothers. Hey, so how are you doing? Everything going okay? Dad's worried. He's, I just got to let, let him know that you're doing okay. And so he's standing there talking with his three brothers and all of a sudden he hears this massive voice bellowing out from across the, the ravine. And, and, and by the way, I want you to notice something about 
uh, Goliath's challenge on this particular day. Uh, we, I didn't read it, but I want you, you can read it yourself. When, when Goliath first issued his challenge, the first time we're told about it, it says he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said, Choose a man for yourselves and let, and let him come down to me. We read that. But I want you to notice what David said uh, on the day that David arrives. David sees this. He hears Goliath issue this challenge. And then David says, have you seen this man who is what? Who is coming up? You ever notice that? See, now what has happened, Goliath has crossed the ravine at the base of the valley, and now he's coming up Israel's side. He's not just standing over there with the Philistine army and shouting at Israel across the ravine anymore. Now he's gotten so bold because he knows they're going to run away. They've run away for 40 days in a row, morning and evening. They've run away. And so now he's, he's down there and he's crossed the ravine at the base of the valley. He's walking up on Israel's side saying, hey, here I am. Here I am. See, here's what I know. If you tolerate a Goliath in your life, he'll take over your territory. If you tolerate a Goliath in your life, he'll move into your camp. He'll take your thoughts that normally would be on God and he'll put them on, them, on himself. When that worry comes in and sh into your life, when that fear uh, begins to tread into your life, it doesn't just stay at a distance and say, oh, I'm here. That, that fear, if you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with it the way that honors God, then what's going to happen is that fear is going to steal your attention away from God. It's gonna, he's going to take over in your life. That's why you can't afford to tolerate giants. You just have to kill him. Now let's get back to our story. Goliath, he comes out on the 41st day of this challenge. And he begins to bellow out threats and defiance. And he's mocking the God of Israel. And David is just standing there listening to this challenge. When suddenly, as he's shouting this and David's listening, suddenly everyone around him is rushing to the rear and climbing back into their tents. Remember, David is, has, has never seen this giant from Gath. He's never heard this challenge. And, and suddenly, in the middle of it, David looks around and he realizes, I'm here by myself. And, and as everybody else has run for cover. At least that's the way I read it. And he looks across the battlefield and he sees this enormous, and that's not even a strong enough word, he sees this enormous man encased in armor, shouting out threats and defiance and cursing the God of Israel. And you know what happened? That made David livid. He thought to himself, no one talks that way about the God of Israel. And he looked around and said, so why is everybody running away? Now remember now, this is the 41st day that the Israelites have encountered Goliath. But this is the first time it's happened to David. And David in that moment realized that Goliath, he was not defying the men of Israel. He wasn't defying the armies of Israel. He wasn't defying Saul. He saw very clearly that Goliath was defying the God of Israel. Now David could have been overwhelmed by the moment. He could have panicked. 
And, and, and nobody would have judged him. He, I mean, he saw seasoned soldiers running from the giant. He could have made excuses about how small and insignificant he was. Oh, I can't really make a difference. I can't really do this. I mean, look, he got soldiers here, and they're not doing anything. Who am I to step in? He could have run in fear when he saw the physical reality of the situation. He could have easily run away. But David had the character to see the reality of this situation through the eyes of faith. He wasn't impressed, and he was not intimidated. What an amazing young man. Look, look at what he does, verse 26. David asked the man, men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I love this line. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what we, will be done for the man who kills, kills him. Now, we didn't read this part, but Saul, King Saul had devised a, an incentive plan for killing the giant. He had a plan. The problem was with his plan, the problem was that Saul was actually the one man in the camp of Israel who was qualified to fight Goliath. Because you remember, we're told that he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the Shaquille O'Neal of Israel. He was the big man. He was taller than anybody else. And not only that, he was the leader of the people. But the problem was Saul was a coward and he wasn't walking with God at this point in time. So, so he, he worked out a plan that hopefully would get somebody else to do it for him. He promised the man who killed Goliath a reward of great riches he promised that man his daughter's hand in marriage, and he promised, and this is a good one, he promised to exempt their household, his father's house, from paying taxes forever. <laughs> Some of you are like, wait a minute, you got my attention now. Now, honestly, I'm not so sure that the hand of the daughter in marriage was much of a reward when you see her behavior later in life. But, but hey, a bride, uh, great riches, and a perpetu perpetual tax exemption plan, that doesn't sound too bad to me. Nevertheless, not even that was enough to prompt a single volunteer. And the guy standing around David told him about this incentive plan and all this external motivation that was there. And the next thing that happens to David is something I call the older brother syndrome. Christians, you know, often go through this very same thing uh, during a time of standing in faith because what happens is somebody who's standing in faith, sometimes they get flack and oftentimes it's from members of their own family, or members even from their own church family. Look at what happened in verse 28. When Eliab, David's older, oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, that's, that's a really strong statement, but don't forget who Eliab is. He is the son of Jesse. He was the one who first walked into the house and Samuel looked at him and thought, that's the king. Remember that? That was when God put his hand on Samuel's shoulder and said, no, 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 uh, uh, that's not the one. I've got somebody else. And then what you don't think about is that a little while later on, Eliab was standing there when the, that horn full of oil was emptied on the head of David and the older brother saw the younger brother chosen to be king. The younger gets blessed above the older. 
And very, very often, that's hard for the older, older brother to handle that. Certainly was in this instance. Eliab remembered that this was his little brother. Oh, you think you're something, huh, David? You, you anointed king. I know what you're doing. I know why you're out here. You think you're all big stuff because Samuel anointed you. He got his strokes in. He said to David, why have you really come? In other words, he's attacking David's motive. Look, David, what, why have you really showed up here? And he asked him these questions. And the second question that he asked was actually designed to humiliate David. He said, hey, David, where did you leave that handful of sheep? That's all you had to do. You're supposed to keep, you're only a shepherd of a few sheep. You think you're the king of Israel? You're only a shepherd of a few sheep. Where'd you leave the sheep? I bet you left them out there to die, to be killed by lions. Just sort of twisting the knife. And then, he, maybe this has happened to you, he gets downright ugly. Anybody ever get downright ugly with you? He says, I know your insolence. I know that your heart is wicked. You came here for the excitement. You just wanted to see the battle. I know what you're here for. Isn't it interesting how we can so easily and readily see our own guilt in somebody else's life? Who really had the insolent, wicked heart? It was Eliab, the older brother. I know, I know where you're coming from, he said. You come down here in order to see the battle. By the way, it's very interesting that there's a possibility that the Hebrew uh, text, that it implies that you have come down to be seen in the battle. You're just trying to make a name for yourself. Now, honestly, at this point in the story, the average person, myself included, would, would have rolled up his sleeves and would have used all of his energy to punch out his brother's lights. Can I get an amen? He would have used, it would, an average person would have used all of his energy to deal with his brother rather than dealing with Goliath. It was all a distraction. Instead, you know what David does with Eliab? He doesn't even give him the time of day. He doesn't even defend himself. He just ignores him. Can I tell you, sometimes that's the best thing you can do. When somebody is being mean and ugly and, and they're saying things that, about, that they don't know what they're talking about and they're accusing you of things that are not true, sometimes it's best not to even mess with trying to defend yourself. Just ignore them because often, can I tell you this, often they will reveal their own heart to everybody else in that process. David just ignores him. It's as if to say, hey, all I did was ask a question. That's all I did. So now I tell you what, let's go on and actually deal with the important thing, that giant out there. That's what I'm, that's what I'm concerned about. He just turns away. See, David knew who to fight, and he knew who to leave alone. And, and listen, in our lives, we deal with giants sometimes, but sometimes we're distracted by, in the fight with our giants by other smaller petty issues, and we need to learn how to choose our battles wisely. And learn that there's some that it's better just to walk away from them. Because if you're not careful, you will expend all of your energy fighting fellow members of the family of God instead of dealing with the giants that are out there defying the armies of God. Meanwhile, when we do that, the real enemy of our souls roams around our territory Winning victory after victory, defying the God whom we serve. 
Well, the scene in the story suddenly changes. Changes from Eliab and David to, to King Saul and David. Because when Saul heard about the questions David was asking and the comments that he was making, he sent for him. Now, now keep in mind that, that King Saul is the guy who doesn't want to fight but doesn't want to admit it. Verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. That sounds like bravado, doesn't it? It sounds like big talk. It sounds like somebody saying, Oh man, I can, I can handle this. But, but we see later on that it was all done in complete humility. But Saul replied to him, listen to what he said, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. You're a kid. And he's been a warrior from his youth. Again, man is impressed with the externals. But he doesn't see the heart. God is different. God doesn't judge by appearance or intelligence. Thank the Lord for that. King Saul hadn't learned that. So he looked at David and said, you just don't have the size for it, son. You're just a kid. Look over there. You see that? That's a giant. And you're a kid. As I picture that moment, as Saul saying, look, he's a giant. I picture David just standing there, just sort of blinking his eyes and thinking, what giant? The only giant I know is God. Looking at Saul and saying, that's, a, that's not a giant, Saul. That's a dwarf over there, Saul. Uh, God is not impressed with, uh, with externals. He, he looks on the heart. God is omnipotent. And, and he says, if, if God's on my side, then, then I can't lose because omnipotence can't lose. I'm serving the real giant. That's, that's not a giant. David then describes to Saul how in the past God proved himself faithful when David slew a bear and a lion. Listen, this is so impressive. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In fact, you read in another place where the, when David killed the lion, it says that he killed him with his bare hands. It says he grabbed hold of the mane of the lion and beat him to death. That's, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? But he didn't do it because he was strong enough to do it. David says, the only reason I was able to do that is because somehow or another, the power of God, the Spirit of God came upon me and I was empowered in the moment and I was able to do something that was impossible for me to do without his help. That's what David is saying. And when facing our own giants, you know what we do? We often forget what we ought to remember and we remember what we ought to forget. What I, what I mean, we remember our defeats and we forget our victories. We remember all the bad things that have happened. We remember, remember all the problems that cropped up. And we forget all of those moments when God came through, when he showed his faithfulness, when he did things that nobody else could do. And most of us can recite the failures of our, of our own life in vivid detail, but we're hard-pressed to name the specific remarkable victories God has pulled off in our past. But not so with David. He says to Saul, you know why I can fight this Goliath king, Saul? It's because the same God who gave me power over a lion and a bear is the same God who will give me power over Goliath. It is God who will empower me, so just let me at it. Well, honestly, that just sort of let Saul off the hook. So he says, okay, well, go and may the Lord be with you. He didn't believe isn't it remarkable how people can use spiritual cliches to cover up their empty lives? They know all the right words to use, all the 
pious sounding phrases. Saul sure did. But then Saul said, okay, all right, well, you can go, but, but wait a minute, David, we have to prepare you for this battle. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Imagine it. I mean, you, you just can't tell me the Bible doesn't have a sense of humor because here's Saul, he's a 52 long and David is a 36 regular. You know, I remember when we lived in, uh, in Twin Falls, Idaho at one point in time, they had a J.C. Penney store there and they had on display, it's all kind of funny when you think about it, uh, they had on display in, a, in one of their windows one of Shaquille O'Neal's. I don't know why he's coming up so much. I guess it's because we're talking about big people. One of his tennis shoes, one of his sneakers. It's funny, you know, it's like, first of all, you only have one. That's funny. Second of all, why are you putting a giant shoe on display? So people, but it was impressive. It was massive. I mean, listen, I could have got in there and used that thing as a, as a canoe. It was huge. And I just picture myself putting, putting that shoe on my foot, you know, and walk. I would have looked like a clown because it was way too big for me. That's what happened to David. He puts on Saul's tunic. He puts on uh, uh, the, Saul's personal armor to wear. He, Saul hands David his, his sword. But, you know, I mean, it's a sword for a man that's bigger than everybody else in the nation. So it's so big he can't really even hold the thing. And he drops his, Saul drops his oversized helmet on his head and clunk. He can't see anything. And David's like, I don't think this is going to work, Saul. And David says, Saul, you know, I can't fight with this stuff. Look at me. Look, look at me. I just pictured David saying, seriously, Saul? Look at this. I can't, I can't fight with this stuff. I can't even walk with this stuff on. Much less, I, I have never even tested it in battle. See, here's what David understood. David understood that he wasn't going to win because he was bigger or because he was stronger or because he was better equipped. You're not going to win your battle with your giants because you're stronger or, you're, or, you're, or, or you have more willpower or because you have greater knowledge than anything else. That's not why you're going to win. David knew that his only hope for victory was in the Lord. So here's David. He's stripped down to his own simple garments. He's armed with his own simple shepherd weapons, his sling, and his staff. He's going in there into battle against this battle-hardened giant that's armor-clad, uh, armor covered with armor. <laughs> and David has a stick and a sling with five stones. He's ready to do battle. But then comes the crucial moment, verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. This is a perfect example of how God operates. He doesn't want us to pretend that we're big and bad and strong. He magnifies his name when we are weak. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I will glory in my weakness. We don't have to be eloquent or strong or handsome. Thank Jesus for that. I've always told people I have a, I have a face that's perfect for radio. 
So thank God he doesn't require us to be handsome. We don't have to be beautiful or brilliant. We don't have to have all the answers to be blessed of God and to have him empower us. He honors our faith. All that he asks is that we trust him and that we stand before him in integrity and with faith. And if we do that, he said he'll win the battle. God's just waiting for his moment, waiting for us to trust him so that he can empower us in our battle against our giants. Because remember, we forget this. In this moment, this moment of great faith, this, this moment where David is walking out against this battle, Goliath is still a giant. He's still an imposing presence. David had all the odds against him. I, I feel quite sure that there was not a single man in the Philistine camp and probably in the Israelite camp either who would have bet on David in that moment. I feel sure that everybody looked at this moment. They're standing back there, these soldiers with all their weapons, seeing this shepherd boy in his, his, his normal everyday clothing, walking out with a stick and a sling in his hand. And, they're, and I, can't, I can't help but believe that they're looking at him and saying, well, sure has been nice knowing you, and I guess we're going to be slaves to the Philistines now. No way is he going to win that. I mean, look at him. Nevertheless, what David knew is he didn't need their backing. He didn't, need, he didn't need them to believe in him. He didn't need them to believe anything because all he needed was God and none other. So after picking up the stones, he approaches this gigantic Philistine warrior. And as he comes, the giant just scoffed in anger at this shepherd boy. I mean, what a joke. Look what he said. Meanwhile, Verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept clo coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. He's angry. He sees David coming across, like in his picture, his sling hanging down, and he's got his stick in his hand, and Goliath looks at him and says, what, what, you're a kid with a stick. I'm no dog that you can beat down with a stick, buddy. I'm going to tear you from limb from limb and let the birds feed on your flesh. Verse 45. This, this, every time I read this, it almost it gives me chills, it just makes me want, it just gets me all pumped up. I just want to go, yeah. Listen to this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army. It's not just you, Goliath, the whole army. I'm going to take them all out. I'm going to give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Yeah! That's what gets me. That made no sense to say that. It makes no sense to stand up against your giants and say, I'm not afraid of you. 
I don't have to be afraid of you. God is standing with me. And today, when God defeats you, all the world will know that there's a God that I serve. There's a God in Marion. There's a God in America. There's a God in this world that can do anything. Just imagine this. David stood before this massive enemy, completely unintimidated. Intimidation, that's our major battle when we face giants. And when they intimidate us, we get tongue-tied. Our thoughts get confused. We forget how to pray. We focus on the odds against us. We forget whom we represent. And we stand there with our knees knocking. And I can't help but wonder what God is thinking when all the while He's just trying to remind us, my, my power is available to you. There's no one on earth that's greater than me. You trust me. David's eyes. They weren't on the giant. His eyes were fixed on, the, on God. Intimidation played no part in his life. And with invincible confidence in his God, David responded in verse 47, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Let me hear you. Let me I want you to hear what I'm saying today. That when you stand in faith in the Lord, that, that people, things will happen, miracles will come your way, that you'll be able to say, I want you to understand today, God's going to do some things that nobody will be able to say. Everybody will understand that the doctors didn't do this. The medication didn't do this. No, no power uh, did this. Human ingenuity didn't figure this out. God did this. He said, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And there it is. There it is, the secret of David's life. The battle is the Lord's. When David approached the battle in faith, knowing that God was bigger than his giant, a miracle happened. Verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. You know what? David lived by a very simple principle. Nothing to prove and nothing to lose. Listen, we got nothing to prove in this life. Fighting the giants that we face, we got nothing to prove. We don't have to prove to anybody else that we're good enough, strong enough, smart enough. And you know what? When we stand in faith, we got nothing to lose. It's not my reputation on the line, it's his. David didn't try to impress anybody in the army of Israel. He didn't try to impress his brothers. He didn't say, hey, watch this, fellas. He didn't even try to impress God, which we do that all the time. We think somehow, you know, if we pray, if our prayer is eloquent enough, it'll impress God enough, he'll say, whoa. I wasn't going to answer that prayer, but that was really something. I guess I'll do it now. David didn't do that. He just ran to meet Goliath. You know something? We still face all kinds of giants today. Thankfully, it's not a, you know, a massive human being with an armor and sword that's trying to chop my head off. You know, I'm glad I don't face those, but we still face giants. Giants of sickness. Giants of addiction. Giants of depression, 
Giants of of financial disasters and divorce and family problems and loneliness and heartbreak and pain and all of these giants and many, many more than I could possibly name. They're all standing there and they are shouting out at you every single day of your life and they're saying, I defy you. I defy you. You can't make it. I'm going to destroy your family. You're always going to be alone. You've gone too far. God will never forgive you. There's no hope. You're going to lose your house. Your children will never come back to Jesus. This marriage can't possibly ever be healed. You'll never be free from this addiction. You'll never be free from this sin. And they're shouting there every single day in your life and saying, there's no hope. There's no hope. You're going to lose. I've got a question for you today. Are you trying to fight your battles on your own? Are you trying to fight your battles your way? Are you trying to outsmart the enemy and outfox him? Good luck with that. He's been doing it a lot longer than you have. The truth is, if you are, you can't win. But I want you to know that God can. God can win. He's saying to you today, if you'll do it my way, then I'll honor you. You do it my way, I'll honor you. But if you do it your way, you're doomed. And he says, the battle is mine. Some of you are trying to fight a battle that doesn't even belong to you. The battle is the Lord's. It's his battle. All David had was a sling and a stone against a giant wearing 200 pounds of armor. And that picture seems silly. But you know what? That's the way God operates. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Which always kind of offended me because because he said, I choose you. (laughs) He chooses the weak things to confound the strong. It may have seemed hopeless. When you looked at the situation, there was no way. There is no way. It may have seemed hopeless, but that's how God operates. In the final analysis, there was, there was a whoosh, 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 and one stone flew through the air, and that's all there was to it. Goliath fell like a sack full of rocks. And David stood there and said, I just picture this in my mind. Looking out over the Philistines after he defeated Goliath in the name of the the God of Israel, I picture him looking out across the valley and saying, Hey, got any more giants? Out of this battle, the real truth emerged. And it was evident to troops on both sides of the valley. The truth was, Goliath was the dwarf. And the God of David was the giant. There's an old chorus that's been going through my mind this week as I prepared this message. The words are very, very simple, but they, but they ring true to the message of David and Goliath. And some of you have been around a while, you'll, you'll recognize the words to this song. It just says this. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. And He will do what no other power can do. How about you? 
Got any rivers that are keeping you from moving forward? Got any rivers that have you hemmed in and you can't move and the current is so swift and the shore is so distant that you, you just know that it's absolutely impossible to make it across? Got any mountains in your way that you can't figure out what to do and they're too big to go over and they're too massive to tunnel through? Got any giants that stand imposingly over your life and they shout defiantly that you'll never be free from their tyranny? All I say to you today is come to Jesus in faith. Come to Jesus in faith because He is our giant killer. He is our mountain mover. He is our bridge builder. He and He alone will win the battle for us. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. Father, as I've come into your presence today, God, I've done my best to deliver what you laid on my heart, but God, I know that I know it could have been done better. I know, Lord God, that, that in my own words, that I probably am a, more of a distraction than anything else. But God, I just pray that you would use what I've said, that you would anoint what I've said, that you would make it hit home in our hearts, that it would, you'd drive it home deep inside of us. Because God, I know there are some people in this church family that are fighting battles that they feel like they're losing and they're losing hope and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to, to do. And God, I pray that you would remind them today that they're fighting a battle that doesn't even belong to them because they've surrendered their life to you. Now everything that they have and everything that they are belongs to you. And that means this battle is the Lord's. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that is on the verge of giving up, on the verge of losing hope, they feel like things are never going to work out, they're never going to be healed, they're never going to be free, that child is never going to come home, that that relationship's never going to be restored. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus today, I pray and I rebuke the, the voice of the enemy. I rebuke that lie. Because God, today we don't stand in our own strength. We don't stand and look at the circumstances and say, I figured this out and there's no way I can do it. We don't rely on our power. We don't rely on our intellect. We don't rely on our ingenuity. We don't rely on anything about us, God, today. We come to you and we say, the battle is the Lord's. I'm going to go. I'm not going to be intimidated by this any longer. I'm going to move forward with my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to cross this river. I'm going to tunnel through this mountain. This mountain in the name of Jesus is going to be moved. And God, I pray that we would walk in that faith, that confidence, that we know the giant killer. And Lord, if there's people here today or watching on the live stream, and God, that in the name of Jesus, they're... They just think that there's no hope. I'll never be free from this depression. I'll never be free from this sickness. I can't beat this addiction. I can't figure out how to deal with this sin. <clears throat> God, I pray that today, in Jesus' name, that hope would arise in their hearts and they would realize, God, that you can do what no other power can do. What no doctor can do, you can do. What no prescription can do, you can do. What no man, woman, or child can do, you can do. What's impossible to the, to the rest of us doesn't even cause you to break a sweat. And God, I pray that today in Jesus' name that faith would arise. And God, that we would look to you to be our giant killer. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around. I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me today. I've been fighting a, a battle that doesn't belong to me. I've been facing a giant that's, that's been so big and I, I just didn't feel like I could deal with it. And, and today I realize I don't have to fear and I don't have to fight this battle. The battle is the Lord's. And you today you want to say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to turn this over to the Lord. I want to see Him do a miracle because I trust Him in faith. If that's you this morning, I want you to slip your hand up right where you are. Yes, yes, their hands all over the place. You're on the live stream and you're watching this. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is not limited by time, place, or location. And that means that the Holy Spirit is in your room. He's there where you are right now. He is moving in your life. He's bringing freedom and He's bringing hope. And if that's you this morning, I want, I want everybody just to stand right where you are. And if you need a miracle, if you need a giant killed... I want you just to lift your hands up to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I surrender to you. I'm going to stop trying to figure it out. I'm going to stop trying to fight the battle myself. Here I am, oh God, I am yours. Lord, we stand in your presence. Lift your hands up to him. Offer yourself to him. Lord, you see every battle. You see every situation. You've heard the voices that have been crying out in defiance. And today, oh God, we just simply say no more. No more, I'm not going to believe the lies anymore. I know what you can do. And I trust you, Lord. I pray that you would restore relationships. I pray that you would, even today, God, tear down barriers that have been built. I pray, God, that you would, you would bring financial restoration to those that have been struggling. I pray, God, that you would bring healing to bodies and to minds. God, I pray that in Jesus' name that you would slay the giants. The battle is the Lord's. We're not going to rest on our own strength any longer. We trust you, O oh God. We trust you. And we thank you for the freedom that you're bringing into our lives. In the powerful, strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.